Well, we're in part two of our series, Woke, the Land of the Long White Cloud. Um, and, and I hope you enjoyed your day off last Wednesday, Waitangi Day. Uh, so I uh, hope you enjoyed the sun. Hope you enjoyed, um, enjoyed comp- uh, friendships and family members. And, um, and there's a group of people to, to Raglan and, got, and got, got involved there. And for myself and Poro and William Lois and Tamiaho, a.k.a. Tom, um, as well as Pastor Bob, our former senior pastor, we, we traveled to Waharo, and uh, we traveled to the place where the uh, Matamatapa was, um, and to the, um, the resting place of Tarore. And I tell you what, it was very heartfelt for us, and very spiritual, and it's, and it's where, we, uh, where this message is inspired from uh, for today. When we think about the Treaty of Waitangi, what, what does it mean for us? And, and it was signed on February the 6th, 1840, between the Crown in England and the Māori tribes. Now, the purpose of the signing of this treaty was for, for two societies to come together to, to learn, I say learn, learn to share this land and where every, everybody comes here equal with one another. And it was also meant to protect um, the Māori people in their land from all the land grabs that were going on during that time. Um, but as we begin to see through history, because of uh, our forced selling of the land, we entered a time of war where there was warfare going, the New Zealand Wars, um, or some will call it the Civil Wars within our own country. We, we hear about the Civil War in America, uh, and we'll probably know more about that than we do about our own history. But New Zealand had its own war, and it was, it was, it was, a, it was a war fought for, for land to keep, where the Maori people were fighting to keep their lands um, from, uh, from w- what was beginning to happen. And at the end of these wars, um, the result of that is that uh, many of the Maori people lost their land. I mean, vast portions of the land. Not, I'm not talking about like lost a bit, but vast portions of the land were lost, were lost and taken uh, because of the wars. And so the treaty was dishonored because of that. And so here we are today. What does this mean for us? And, and now we have like the, 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 um, the, the treaty tribunal and, the, and where representatives of the government and Maori people come together and, and they're beginning to right the wrongs of the past and beginning to honor the treaty. And, and, and it's, it's, a, it's this long, slow journey, but things are beginning to happen. So when we think about the birth of this country, the birth of New Zealand. Um, it, it was a very long birthing pains when we look at that, where, where, where this country kind of it struggled to, to try to wrap its head around of what it was becoming. But it's also a picture, for me, Waitangi is a, is a picture of reconciliation. Today it reminds me of reconciliation and forgiveness. And, and just to, to, to just lead you to what I really want to talk about, when we, when we think about the, the, the land settlements. And when we look at the government treasury reports, did you know like Māori settled for two cents and a dollar for what they lost? And for me, that's extremely graceful. And, the, and they're very gracious in, in accepting that. I mean, they didn't have to settle for two cents and a dollar, but they did. Because it wasn't about the money, but it's about acknowledgement of what their people fought for, about the people coming together. And, and it's about the grace that they shared to one another. So when, for what Waitangi means to me today, it's a picture of, of, of it's, it's also a picture of reconciliation and tremendous forgiveness that the Māori people bestowed upon, um, uh, upon uh, the people of this land and where all people are welcome to this great country, this, um, where, where all people are equal, where you stand shoulder to shoulder with one another, all race and creed are welcome to this place. 
Um, and so this is what the treaty means to me. And to me, it's, it's a picture of forgiveness, great forgiveness. When we think about forgiveness for our own lives, um, I, I hear so many times people say, oh, well, I forgive all the time, right? And you'd probably say that too, oh, I forgive all the time. But when we really think about it, for most of us, we hold grudges deep in our hearts, right? They go, oh, I forgive them, but when you see that certain pe- person, or you see that family or that people group, all of a sudden it comes out, right? They're like, yeah, there they go. You know, and it's, and it's there, there they go, and these grudges, and, and, they, and, and they're in there, because it's hard to forgive. It, it's, it, it takes a lot of strength to forgive. Or some people say, well, um, you know, I forgive, but I never forget. You ever heard that? Or maybe you say that. I forgive, but I never forget. What that tells me is that you don't always forgive. Because forgiveness takes a lot of strength. Forgiveness is, is heavy. And today's message is a message of forgiveness. It's a, it's a story. In fact, it's our story. It's a New Zealand story. This is our own very, our true story of forgiveness and reconciliation. And I, I love to call this like the birth of a nation came through this story. So the journey to, for us to get to Waharoa really was a pilgrimage, a bit of a hikoi, back to where it all kind of began for us. And way back in the 1830s, Te Waharoa, Te Waharoa, the, the, the chief of the iwi there, of the Ngati Hoa tribe, for whatever reason, he invited missionaries to come and settle and live amongst his people, to teach his people. Now we get to understand Te Waharoa, he was, he, he was a general, he was a, he was a fighting man. Um, he was, and people, people called him a warlord, and, and he was one person that you did not want to mess with. He was strategic, and he was a unique New Zealander, Te Waharoa. And some, say the reason, some people say the reason why he invited these missionaries to come and live amongst his people was to get intel from the missionaries, because the missionaries, they, had like, they can go to and fro from different tribes and, and from the enemy tribes. And some say that maybe he wants to get intel so he can say, hey, tell me about those people in Tauranga. You know, who's, who's over there? What's going on over there? Some say that. But when you look at the story, the story that I'm about to share with us, you cannot help but see the Holy Spirit within the story, where Te Waharoa, a man of war, inviting people of peace to come and live amongst his people and teach his people. So, so at the Matamatapa, uh, where modern-day Waharoa, has anybody been to the town of Waharoa? Been there? At, uh, and not far from there is Waiere uh, Falls. Anybody love going to Waiere Falls? You know, I see a lot of people with their Snapchats and Insta stories, taking photos of them there. We decided to go to Waiere Falls, and we wanted to go there, but it was so packed that cars lined the road, and so we, instead of going to, to the falls, we went to the cafe, and we sought the shelter of shade and, 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 and caffeine beverages. Um, <laughs> so, you know, we, you know, suffering for Jesus, and so this is where the story is. It's a real location, real people, real events, not so long ago. And so, so, we, so and, uh, the missionary station was built just outside of the Matamatapa. And um, the, the chief of, of, of their pa was Ngākuku. Ngākuku was, was the chief, the nephew of Te Waharoa. And so when Reverend Brown and his wife, Charlotte Brown, arrived um, at the station... Ngākuku went along and came along with his daughter, Taurore, who was at that time 10 years of age, came up to Alfred Brown, and the first thing he said to him was, can you teach us to read God's book? Now, Alfred Brown records that he was kind of startled by this because he never expected the first request was to learn to read the Bible. He never expected that. 
So the very next day, he started a school. He started a school for both adults and children where they kind of learn all together. Now, Te, Wahara, uh, Te Waharo's um, son was one of the first students. Um, Tara Pipipi was, was one of the first. Everybody say Tara Pipipi. Well, he was one of the first, also one of the first students um, at this school, learning to, to read and write. And so the, the son of Waharo, Te Waharo. And so Reverend Brown, he didn't have a blackboard or a whiteboard or data projectors or anything like this. So what he did, he, he went down to the, down to the riverbed bed, and he picked up a stick and he began to teach the people to read by drawing letters in the sand um, with the sticks, and, and the people began to recognize for the very first time their, their, their oral language in written form. And they, and they began to learn how to say these letters, what sounds they made, and, and the relation they had with another letter, and they began to, and they learned to read and write during this time. Now, four months after this event, four months after he started this school, um, Ngakuku comes up to Alpha Brown, and he says to Reverend Brown, he said, Reverend Brown, you know, I, I want to, I want to turn my back on the old ways. I'm tired of the fighting and the hatred, and I want Jesus to be my chief, and I want to serve only him. See, um, Ngakuku didn't realize that the, that same day, Taurore came up to uh, Charlotte Brown and, and said exactly the same thing. I want Jesus to be my chief. Now, Reverend Brown gives Ngakuku, gives him um, the translation um, of, of the Gospel of Luke in Māori, gives him a copy, Te Rongopai or Ruka, the good news of Luke, gives it to, to Ngākuku. Ngākuku, he writes his name, opens up the page, writes his name in Ngākuku in it, and he gives it to his daughter, Tarore. Tarore makes a kite out of flax, and she puts it inside the, the, the kite, and he ties it around, she wears it around her neck, because this is her tonga, her greatest treasure, the greatest treasure she ever had, and, 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 and she would wear this and, and carry the book of, of Ruka with her wherever she went. Now, Reverend Brown and Ngakuku had, had an amazing relationship. Ngakuku would go with Alfred Brown around preaching the gospel. Ngakuku would begin to preach to the people and, 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 and say to them, you know, uh, accept Jesus as your chief, just as I have. Now, when uh, Tarore, she, she, was, she came to be known as a great child prodigy. She, when she learned to read, she was able to, um, to remember large chunks of the gospel. She had an amazing memory. So Ngākuku would bring Tarore with her, and, and she would begin to recite the book of, book of Luke for people. It is said that two to 300 people would gather to hear Tarore begin to, to recite the words of the book of Luke. And um, so, you know, it doesn't matter how old, that, how old you are, God can use you. Now, Kuku rec uh, recognized the Holy Spirit within his own daughter. And so sometimes we look at children, well, you know, wait until you're older, then you can begin to do something of significance. You know, God calls us at any age, regardless. And God had called Tarore at that time. So she began to teach, and, and they, they began to share the love of God. But at the same time, war was in the air. War was in the air. And in, in Rotorua, the Te Arawa tribe killed Te Waharo's uh, cousin. Because of that, there was war between the two tribes. And things got very, very dangerous around the Matamata uh, Pa that the, the missionary station had to close, and Reverend Brown and Charlotte had to go to Tauranga, where we were safer. Now, Kuku decides to, to take the children and travel to Tauranga, um, where it was safer for them. And so they, as they began their journey, they, they set up camp at, the, at Wairere Force. 
You know that place by Adair Falls where, we, where, uh, where people love to swim when it's hot? They set up camp there and they, they light, light a fire. You can imagine as they're sitting around the campfire, you can imagine Tarore bringing out her, her precious book, her, her precious tonga, her precious treasure, and reading the book of Luke to all those who would hear. And that night she put it back in the kite and she, and she went to sleep under a tree. Well, just up the river w- was a war party from Rotorua. They had seen the smoke, they had seen the fire, and they attacked, thinking that this was, a, was another war party. And Ngan Kuku, um, in the confusion, picks up his, little, his, his young son and he leads the people up, up, the, up the, the hillside where they were safe. But Tarore wasn't anywhere to be found. And you can imagine, if, if, you've, if, if you have children, the horror of losing a child, I've lost a child, I've lost a grandchild even, the horror of losing a child, you know, but especially when there's danger all around you. You can imagine how that felt. Ngakuku coming down there. Imagine what he's thinking, what he, will, who, what he would find. And he finds Tarore laying in the place where she went to sleep, dead. You can imagine his heart, his heart breaking for his daughter. You can imagine that the, the worst horror had come true in his thinking. And Ngakuku bends down and he picks up his daughter. And he carries her all the way back to the Mata Matapa. And, and there people, people mourned Tarore, the chief's daughter. And as, as they were burying her, people were crying Utu. Were crying Utu. See, Utu doesn't mean revenge. What Utu means, it means cost. Consider the cost. And the cost of taking a life is a life for a life. That's the cost. A sacrifice must be made for another life. That's the cost. And the people were crying because this was their way of life. This was their tikanga. This was who they were as people. A life must be paid for life. You can imagine as Nakuku was laying his daughter to rest. Utu was in his mind because this, don't forget, he's still Maori. And, and Utu's going through his mind, but he's also thinking about the gospel message. And he thinks about Luke, chapter 6, verse 27 to 28. And he remembers the words of Jesus. But to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. When Jesus first said these words to the Jewish people, they had never heard anything like that. In fact, these words of Jesus, no one on the planet Earth had ever heard words like this ever before. This was a totally new concept. It was revolutionary than the words that Jesus was saying. To love your enemies. And the Jewish people, are you saying, Jesus, that we've got to love the Romans? The Romans who occupied Israel. You said we've got to love those people who, and you know, the Romans, when you think how, when you look at history, they were truly were savages. They truly were harsh in their warfare. They truly were harsh on those who they occupied. And are you saying, Jesus, we've got to love them? Can you imagine Ngakuku reading these words? Very similar in their thinking where, to love your enemies. Pray for those who hurt you. 
See, even today, right here, right now, the last time somebody hurt you, did you pray for them? Did you pray for them? I don't know if you noticed, but if you have a look at our front door, we've got no handles on our front door. Poro arrived on Saturday morning for, women's, for their women's meeting they had. Someone had stolen our handles off the church door. She rang me up and she said, Ants, they're gone. What's gone? The handles. The handles? What are you talking about? I've still got them. <laughs> I wish they were gone. Maybe I have this out of the gym tomorrow, but I don't know. That's another story. She said, no, our handles for our doors are gone. You know, my first thought was, was those, you know. You know? But I remembered because I'm preparing this message. <laughs> I'm preparing this message. Pray for those who hurt you. And I began to pray for them. I said, Father, I just pray for those people. And, and Lord, they must be, I don't know what they're going through now, but to, to steal handles, to sell it. There must be a desperate moment. I pray for them, that for God's blessing to be upon them financially, if there's any addiction, for God to bring breakthrough financially, um, if they're struggling for food. Because, you know, so we, we, we always look at one, and we forget there's another reason why behind that, right? And that's what forgiveness does. That's what loving our enemies does. It, it, it sees them as the person who they are rather than the action. We quite often judge people by the action but forget who they are and what led them to that place. I also pray for justice as well. The Lord, pray for justice. Anyway. <laughs> You can imagine what Nakuku was thinking. But he remembered the words of Jesus. He was thinking utu, cost. But he remembered Jesus who paid the cost. Where Jesus was the utu. Where his life was sacrificed. One life for us all so we all may find freedom. Jesus was the utu. Jesus was the one who paid the cost. And Reverend Brown records the words that Nga Kuku had said to the people who gathered there as, as he buried his daughter. And these are the words that Reverend Brown recorded. This is Nga Kuku speaking. There lies my child. She has been murdered as a payment for your bad conduct. But do not rise up to obtain satisfaction for her. God will do that. Let this be the conclusion of the war with Rotorua. Let peace be now made. My heart is not sad for Taurore, but for you. You wished for teachers to come, to come to you. They came, and now you're driving them away. You are weeping for my daughter, but I am weeping for you, for myself. For all of us, perhaps this murder is a sign of God's anger towards us for our sins. Turn to him. Believe or you will all perish. You know, when we were on, on that site and, and with the komato of that, of that area, Mokoroa, he was sharing about this, this time. And, and he said, this, these are his words, he said, I, I don't know how Nakuku did it. I don't know how he was able to stop the people from taking revenge because this is, this is 
who we are. This is our tikanga. This is our Ten Commandments. Our life for life. This is who. See what Ngakuku did. I don't know if you understand the significance of this moment. This was history changing. This changed a nation. This changed the Maori way of life. This was this was unheard of. But Ngakuku stood there and said, "There will be no revenge. Let there be peace." This is history changing. I don't, I don't know if you understand what happened at this moment in 1836. You know, Reverend Brown will go on to say it was the power of the Holy Spirit in Ngākuku that brought around forgiveness and reconciliation. Only through the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you know to forgive? It takes strength. Depending... Depends how much more you're giving forgiveness for. I've got a clip that I want us to play. It's, it's when we visited Tarore's resting place. So here we are at Tarore's resting place. This is the site where her father, Ngākuku, carried her all the way back to her pa in Matamata here uh, all those years ago. Um, and even being on the site, you can feel the emotion and you can imagine how they would have felt you know, for revenge. Um, even today, it doesn't, it doesn't kind of make sense. What happened on this site was really history-stopping, uh, especially for the people of this land, to take revenge. But for Ngākuku to say, we will not take revenge, it's history-stopping. Um, and it only shows the power of the Holy Spirit that was in Ngākuku. And it was through Ngākuku it brought the uh, reconciliation of the person that took Taurore's life. And, but you only, that can only happen through the love of God. So this is the area began with the gospel being spread from people to people and the story of Taurore and the people of this land. This will never be forgotten and we know that the power of God is still alive in each one of us even today. So here we are at Taurore's resting place. You can visit that site. You can still go to that Paurore and see where Tarore was laid to rest. Now, Uita was the warrior that had killed Tarore, and he had, he had ripped the kite where the book of Luke was in, and he ripped it from it and took it back to, his, back to his pa. And when he got back to his pa, he ripped it open, hoping to find green stone or some treasure of its like, but to his disgust, he found a book because he couldn't read. So he discarded this book. For, for whatever reason, he never fully got rid of it. But what's really amazing about this story was that there was a slave who had been taken from Otaki to the Bay of Islands. His name was Ripaho. Now Ripaho, his job was to take the, the, the children, as a slave, the children to the mission house so they can learn to read and write and, and, and missionaries will teach them the Bible. While he's there with these children, taking them there to, to read and write, he hears this word and he learns to read and write as well and he becomes a Christian. Now Ripaho, his, his master dies and he gets released. So Ripaho is heading back to Otaki, back to his home. But as he's traveling home, he, he ends up at Uita's home. He ends up in his home. All the places he could have ended up in, he ended up there. While he's there, he sees the book of Luke in Uita's house. And he says to Uita, do, do, do you realize what book you have? This is a sacred book. This is the Holy Bible. And then Oita says, could you read this book to me? Of all the houses Ripaho could have gone to, he ended up at this house. 
And he begins to read to Uita the story, the narrative from the book of Luke. Night after night after night. To Uita, these words were a message to him. And he began to hear the words of this, this chief called Jesus, who had this manna that he had never seen. Love your enemies. Pray for those who hurt you. Uita, a man of warfare, of the warrior class. And he says to Uita, Uita says to Ripaho, he said, he said to him, I want to follow the ways of this book. You know, I want Jesus to be my chief. But before I can do that, I need to find the skills father so I can ask for forgiveness. So they sent a message to Ngakuku. This is very dangerous. This, this was very dangerous for Uita. This could mean his life. But witnesses of, of that moment of when they embraced said that when Ngakuku and Uita see each other, they embraced one another and tears streamed from their face and together they knelt and prayed. Reverend Brown will record the incident like this. He will record what had happened. He would go on the same. Once I find it. Reverend Brown said this of the meeting between Ngakuku and Uita. In the evening... They were engaged together in worshiping God at their prayer meeting and were apparently on the most friendly terms. I love how what Reverend Brown says next in his narrative. Who but the Christian loves their enemies? You know, the story of Tarore and her gospel of Luke begins to travel from tribe to tribe to tribe to tribe to tribe to tribe to tribe. When the missionaries begin to travel through the lower, lower half of the North Island into the South Island where no other missionaries have gone, they were surprised to find that tribes had turned to Christ. Because of the story they heard of Taurore and the book of Luke that traveled around with Ripaho and, and others who took the message. It was because of the death of this young girl and the way Ngakuku had responded to Christ brought the changing of a nation. You know, what's, a, what's amaze, amazing is that Te Waharu's son, Tarapipipi, he was at this part and he witnessed the whole thing. Um, Tarapipipi, would go on to become a man of peace. And he goes on to change his name to Wurimu Tamihana. And he became known by the colonists as the kingmaker. The beginning of the Kingitanga movement. He began the King, Kingitanga movement. In fact, in, sitting here are direct descendants of that man. In a couple of weeks, I'd love to share that story with you. This powerful story of of this man who became a warrior for Christ, a warrior for peace. For the next 40 years, the work that he began and his story lives on today. But I truly believe that this could have been a turning point of the, of the stand that Ngakuku took all those years ago, 1836. See, don't let offense become a fence around your heart. 
Do not let offenses build a fence around your heart because it will eat you up. The weight of unforgiveness drives us to bitterness and hate. See, forgiveness disentangles us from the people who hurt us so that they will no longer hurt us anymore. But unforgiveness entangles us with the people that hurt us. See, forgiveness isn't letting people off the hook. Forgiveness is letting yourself off the hook from the bondage of bitterness, from the bondage of hate. The power of forgiveness, the power of the Holy Spirit. When you allow the power of the Holy Spirit to move through your life and and allow forgiveness to begin to take every part of your body, it's, it's time to let those prisoners go. We've taken too many prisoners in our lives. You know, well, you, you, I'm taking Captain, you prisoner here, you're prisoner here. But what we don't realize is none of them are prisoners. The only prisoner you have is yourself. So forgiveness opens the prison door. Not of the people you've taken prison, opens the prison door to your life because it disentangles you. The power of forgiveness, the power of the love of God, Jesus is our Utu. Jesus paid the cost. He paid the price. It's time to live in the freedom that Jesus offers each one of us. Amen. See, this nation, the the identity of this nation was, was birthed, was birthed of the transformation of the Maori coming to know Jesus as their chief and the missionaries that came and the work that they they begun. And it still continues today. See, if God can transform our nation in 1800s, He can do it again. If he can, he can transform Ngākuku's life, He can transform your life. If He can transform New Zealand, Aotearoa, He can transform your environment where you are. All it takes is a few good men, a few good women to, who, are, who are willing to stand up and say, yes, Lord, I'll stand for you. And I will proclaim who you are. And I will proclaim your peace. All it will take is a few good women and men. I don't know, are there any few good men and women in the house of God today that are willing to stand up for the love of Jesus and begin to preach forgiveness and reconciliation? This is our story. The story of Tarore is our story. It's the graciously, graciously given to us from the people of Ngāti Ngāti Hoa. Graciously given. But it it is part of our story. You know what's amazing about the Treaty of Waitangi? Did you know that the government are, are, are obliged to protect Māori's right of worship? Did you know that? According to the treaty, they're obliged to protect Māori's right of worship. And because around that time, many, many Māori tribes came to Christ, because of that, the government is obliged to protect Christianity in this country. This is what this, this, this treaty means. It's not just the protection of the Maori, it's the protection of who we are in Christ. And it's time to honor. It's time to reconcile. And it's time to forgive. Come on, church, why don't we pray?